We are in a series called uh, It's a Trap, It's a Trap. And what it's all about is um, how how Satan sets traps for us. The Bible says that uh, he is a, uh, he, he comes to steal and kill and destroy, that he is on the prowl looking for whom he may devour next. And the way you do this is not by coming up. He doesn't come up to us and say, hey, I'm gonna destroy your life. Come on, follow me. Because we would never do that. See, we are a little bit too smart for that straightforward approach from Satan. And so, so he must come up with traps. He must come up with temptations. He must come up with ways to trick us. And, uh, and that's, that's what we're talking about. And we're looking at Matthew 4, Matthew 4. Um, and it is where Jesus goes into the desert and he's tempted by Satan. And Satan uses four ways. Everybody say four again. Four, yeah. And so he uses four ways. And we've gone over the first two. I'm just going to go through them real quick. The first week, uh, we talked about how Satan wants us to doubt who we are and whose we are. See, if he can get us to doubt that we are valuable, to doubt that we are loved, to doubt that we are created by God, if he can get us to doubt all those things, then why does our life matter? It, it doesn't. And if he can get us to believe our life doesn't matter, then he can get us to do uh, all kinds of things that, that are just crazy and pull us away from God. And, and that's what we need to remember. Temptations, the whole point of temptations is not just that um, Satan's trying to get us to be tempted. He's trying to pull us away from God. And when we doubt who we are and whose we are, we are pulled away from God because we don't believe that there's anyone that cares about us, that our life matters at all. Last week we talked about trap number two and it is this, Satan wants us to choose pleasure in the moment over God. We talked about hunger and physical pleasures and the things that we hunger after. And Satan uses these and these are like the common temptations that we talk about, sex, money, stuff, drugs, alcohol, all that kind of stuff. Because if Satan can put that in front of us. It's just like your standard mousetrap or, or, or as uh, Hank talked a few weeks ago in the video about like a salt lick for a deer. It draws them in because they physically hunger after it and then they are going towards their demise. And that's what Satan does is he, he puts this trap out in front of us and this, this temptation and we just go after it. And, and we don't see the trap. We don't see the big picture. And tonight we're going to look at trap number three, and it's all about testing God, testing God. So I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We know that Satan has a lot of tricks, and we just want to, uh, we want to figure out how to live this abundant, freeing life that you've set out for us. And the only way we can do that is by understanding how Satan tries to, to tempt us. And so, Lord, as, as we talk about this, this trap number three, I pray that you would give us understanding, that you would speak to our hearts, that I'd get out of the way, that distractions would get out of the way, because we need to hear from you. So speak to us right now in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, so as, as we talk about testing God, this idea of testing, as I, as I thought about testing this week, I was like, well, how do I share about this? Um, and I thought of one name that came to my mind. And you guys don't know this name, but you're about to hear about this name. His name was Bear. His name was Bear. Um, and Bear is a, uh, or was, I don't even know if he's still alive, was a, a dog that my roommate had in college. And, and you guys know by now, look, there is a misperception about me that I don't like animals. I love animals. I think animals are incredible. A few weeks ago, we were in Panama, and I got to go six inches from a jaguar, a grown male 15-year-old jaguar in Panama, and I got to have like a monkey crawl around on my head and a, hold a sloth and all that stuff. I love animals. Animals are great. Um, I don't want a pet. 
I don't want an animal in my house. I don't want them touching my bed. I don't want them to lick my clean jeans or my clean feet after I get out of the shower. I don't want their nasty dog bowls over there or their kibbles and bits. I don't want their smell in my house. I don't want their dog hair or cat hair everywhere. I don't want them to just lick things and drag their their bottom on things and all that. It just grosses me out. Animals should not be in homes. That's just the way it is. But but I can't control um, my roommates. And uh, you'll find when you go to college, you have to make certain, um, you have to settle for some things. And uh, I had to settle a few times for roommates that were my friends that I love like crazy, but they had animals. They had dogs. Now, after college, I had, a, I had a roommate named Mark, and he had a dog named Apollo Black Lab, my favorite dog in the history of the world. I still didn't want to live with him. I, I still would, would rather just see him, like, split custody kind of thing. I like, just see him every once in a while. But I, I, I love this dog, but I don't want to live with him. But in, uh, in college, I uh, was about to graduate, and I had, like, seven months left of college. And, and I lived with my friend Kaysen, and it was just the two of us. And he had this dog named Bear. I don't even know what Bear was. He was, like, some kind of weird hybrid dog, and um, he, he looked kind of like a bear. He was just like this little poof, and, uh, and he was annoying, and he was untrained, and he was bad, and like this dog, just this dog, I didn't like this dog, and he knew it. He, he really knew it, and so because he knew I didn't like him, and because maybe I didn't treat him the best, um, he tested me constantly. Now, it started with little tests. Like, he, uh, he knew he wasn't supposed to go in my room. And so sometimes he'd come up, I'd be doing homework in my room, and he'd just come and peer around the door. And he'd kind of just look at me, and I'd just stare at him. I'd be like, no, no, go away, Bear. And I'd like get up and like fake chase him, and he'd like run down the stairs, because he knew he wasn't even supposed to get near it. But then he started to just kind of creep up the stairs. I lived upstairs, and I was, my door was right uh, above the stairs. And so he would just kind of creep up, and I'd even hear him, and I could smell him, because he stunk. And he would be coming up the stairs, and, and, and I'd like maybe like walk out of my room and see him and then he'd run away because he knew he wasn't supposed to be up there. But he would test me. He'd push the limits. And then he started doing this thing because he knew if I was home, there was no way he could go upstairs. But he knew, you know, if the, if the, if the cat's away, the mice will play, play. So the dog would play when Ryan was not home. And so he, uh, he started to uh, go up in the, in the hallway um, and if my door was open, he'd go in my, in my room. And, and one time I made the mistake of shutting my door, but not pulling it all the way and hearing it click. And so when I got home, my roommate, my, my former roommate's webcam had been torn apart and I had to pay for that. And I felt like I shouldn't have to pay for this. This isn't even my dog. It wasn't even my fault, but that just irritated me even more. So from then on, I would pull my door completely closed. Well, then Bear continued to test me, and he would begin to leave presents outside my door all the time. Gifts, uh, gifts, gold, frankincense, pee, poop, all that kind of stuff. It was great. He would just come up, and he would just leave them all over. It was like a minefield, and, uh, and, I, and I would have to clean them up, and it was so irritating. And so then I got this, like, Super Bowl when, Jackson, when the Super Bowl was in Jacksonville. I had this big sign from it, and it was, like, plastic or, or, or whatever. And so I, like, stuck it at the bottom of the stairs, so he couldn't ever get upstairs again. And, and, he, and it was like kind of like in there tight, wedged in there tight, and he, he wouldn't really go around that. But one weekend, kind of the stars aligned, and, uh, and Kaysen was like, hey, man, I'm going out of town. Actually, Kaysen talks like this. Hey, guy, uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to need you to take care of Bear. And I was like, um, I'm not, I'm not going to be in town this weekend. Maybe you should have planned something else. He's like, well, who's going to take care of my dog? And I'm like, I don't know. And so uh, I, I leave town, he leaves town, and he got our neighbors through. Now our neighbors, these, these guys were like your typical like 
college guys. One of the guys was on the FSU baseball team, so he was just all over the place. And uh, his roommates were just crazy like Miami kids, and they were just like, they were all crazy partiers and all that kind of stuff. So they weren't the most responsible guys. And so he asked them, uh, hey, will you, will you take care of my dog? And they said, fine. And so we go home and, and, and we come home uh, or we come back in town. He's not back yet. And it's Sunday night and it's late. I would always come home really, really late back to Tallahassee. So it's like 12 o'clock, one o'clock. I have class the next morning. I'm kind of trudging in. I'm going to take a shower and go to bed. And, and right when I walk in, there was like, oh gosh, something's Something's gone seriously wrong. I, I don't see bear downstairs. And I'm like, oh, oh no, this is, this is bad. The house reeks. And I'm like, oh gosh, well, what has happened? And then as I continue to open the door and I see the stairs, my, my, my wall has fallen. And I knew that it had been breached and that something had happened. And, and, and so I slowly walk up the stairs and the anger is just building inside of me. And then I got up there and it was like, it was like a like World War II or Vietnam minefield. Like I had to, to get to my room, I was like Mission Impossible doing like yoga poses and I was doing one of these and I had to like, don't they have that game at Adventure Landing where there's like lasers or something? It was like that. So there were like, there was just, there was just one and two all over the hallway and I'm trying to get through and, and trying to finagle my way through and of course I had to spend the next hour scrubbing the floors and trying to make them smell better. But Bear loved to test me. And the thing that we do with God, whether we know it or not, is we love to test God. And, and this isn't, listen, listen, listen. This isn't just a, 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 a talk for um, people that don't follow Jesus. In fact, I would say it's more so for people who do follow Jesus. See, we love to test God, whether you know it or not. And we are gonna look at how Satan tried to get Jesus to test his heavenly father. In John chapter four, and I'll start at the beginning as we've done each week, and then I'll get to the part that we're gonna look at tonight. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter, the tester came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written. And when he says it is written, he's talking about in the Bible. It is written in the Bible, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we've seen the doubt, we've seen the hunger, and now we're gonna see test number three or trap number three. It says, then the devil took him to the holy city, that is Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. This was the highest point of the city. Um, I'm not sure if like this was like a spiritual thing or if people could actually see them up there. But in any case, he takes him up to the top of the temple, the highest point in Jerusalem. And he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, throw yourself down. Now at first glance, that's not very tempting. He, he wants him to like kill himself or something. Like, I don't understand what would be attractive uh, for Jesus about this. But then he kind of adds in the kicker. See, he remembers, hey, when I did that trap about hunger, Jesus came back at me with a little bit of scripture. So I bet, I bet if I use scripture, I might be able to get back at him. I might be able to trick him by using scripture. And so he says this, for it is written, Jesus, it is written, he will that is God, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. See, Satan wanted Jesus to test God. He wanted Jesus to say, I'm gonna be in control. I'm gonna go the direction I want to go. I'm gonna use my godly power 
to do something and then I will save myself or have the angels save me. What he wanted him to do was not kill himself. He wanted him to test God. He wanted him to put God in a situation where Jesus was like trying to do his things his own way. Because he knew that if he could get Jesus to say that he knew better, that he was in control, he knew that if he could get Jesus to be the God of his own life, well, then he would win and that he would be able to do it again later in life as well, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So he quotes Psalm 91. That's what he's quoting when he says he will command his angels. And the, the interesting thing about this is that he's taking something totally out of context. Now, some of you, um, some of you are gonna go off to college or you're gonna go somewhere in life and people are gonna tell you something about scripture and they are going to misinterpret it. They are going to misquote it. They are going to take it out of context and they are gonna say, well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, what about this? And this is why it is so important that you spend time in God's word and that you spend time with God. Not so that you are a scholar, not so that you can show off with your knowledge, but so that when someone comes and uses a scripture in the wrong way, you can say, I don't, that doesn't really make sense. I, I don't, I'm not sure that you're actually reading that correctly. And so he takes this psalm, which is all about trusting God. It's this poem about, about how David um, would trust in God and about how if we, are, if we are in him and we take refuge in him, he will protect us. And that's where kind of, it, kind of where we, we see this, 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 this verse. He says, man, if you trust in God, he's gonna command his angels concerning you. They're gonna lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. But then he tries to take something that's all about trusting in God and loving God and turn it into something that it's not. Turn it into a reason to test God. And here is how Jesus answered. Jesus answered him, it is also written, See, see you, know, you know that you're misquoting this, Satan, and I'm gonna use God's word against you again. It is also written in the Bible. I know the scripture a little bit better than you do, Satan. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And that is a, uh, that's a verse out of Deuteronomy, which is in the Old Testament. And the reason why this is important is that that verse was written because in Exodus 17, the Israelites are, uh, are they've left Egypt, right? They've been freed from slavery. They've crossed the Red Sea. Like there are just amazing things happen. They've seen God work. And then they get thirsty and they get a little bit tired and, and they start complaining and they start saying, well, God, Moses, where's water? We are thirsty. At least when we were in slavery, we had water. And they start saying all these things. They're testing God. And finally, Moses goes back to God and he's like, I don't know what to do with these people, man. You just did all these amazing things. And they're already complaining. They're already saying all these things. They're testing you. And so God put in his scripture, do not test me. Do not test the Lord your God. See, trap number three is this. Satan wants us to put God to the test and to be our own God. Satan wants us to put God to the test and to be our own God. And you may say, well, I, I don't want to be my own God. I, I, I don't want to take the place of God. I don't think that I am God. When we test God, that's exactly what we're doing. If he could have gotten Jesus to go the direction that he wanted to go, what would he have been doing? He would have been the God of his own life. Well, I don't, I don't care what God the Father says. I know that God the Father has a plan for me, but I'm just gonna go the way Jesus wants to go because, because I'm just gonna be my own God in this situation. And every time that we test God, when we put God to the test, we become our own God. If we begin to say that we know better than God, and this is gonna be, I know this one's a little more abstract and it's a little bit more confusing, but I promise you, this might be the most powerful 
weapon that Satan has against us. Because if we begin to say that we know better than God or that our friend knows better or that so-and-so in our class knows better or that um, the world knows better or that American culture knows better, if we begin to say that we are in control, that we wanna make decisions for our lives and we're not really worried about what God has to say about it, then we become our own God. We become the God of our lives. We're gonna do what we want when we wanna do it. And here, Satan doesn't even have to tempt us. He no longer has to put sex out there and say, man, I'm gonna trick you with this. He no longer has to put drugs and alcohol out there and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tempt him in with this. When we test God, when we say that we know better than God, here's what we do. We are in direct rebellion against God. We are saying, God, I don't care what you have to say. I'm gonna walk away from you. Well, if the whole point of temptation is to pull us away from God, if we start testing God, then what does Satan have to do? Nothing. Nothing. He doesn't even have to try. He can go on to someone else and tempt them with something else because he, we are already walking in the wrong direction. Here are some ways, um, or some, some, some ways that you might know that you maybe have become a tester of God. And I think I've done this. I think a lot of us have done this. But just kind of think about, think about if you've ever done this. If you try to find loopholes in the Bible, maybe you've begun to put God to the test. Yeah, I I know it says this about sex, but here's a loophole. It doesn't exactly say this. I could probably do this. Yeah, I know it says this about about jealousy or about greed, but that's not really greedy. And and you start trying to, to worm your way through. You start trying to find loopholes. That might be a sign that you are putting God to the test, that you are trying to be your own God. Here's a big one. This is, this is so important. I've heard this so many times from friends, from people in my life group, from students, from adults, from, from myself. If you think you can get away with it, maybe you've begun to be a tester of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I shouldn't do this. I know it's not right. I can't even find a loophole around it, but, but I'm forgiven. I'm a Christian. What's God gonna do? He's not gonna come here and strike me down because I did something on a Friday night or I made a decision in my bedroom or I treated my parent or my teacher a certain way. What's he gonna do about it? He's not gonna do anything about it. And we start to say, well, I'll get away with it. There's grace. That's why we have grace. We have grace so that we can sin because we're not perfect and we're never gonna be perfect. So we might as well not even try. If you start to think, that you can get away with it, that no one's gonna find out, that God won't care, perhaps you've begun to put God to the test. If you're constantly challenging God's law, if you're constantly just saying like, I don't agree with that. Well, it is in scripture, I, don't, I just don't agree. Well, well, I think this, well, I think that, well, I think this. If you're constantly challenging God's law, perhaps you're testing God. Perhaps you're trying to be your own God. And here's, here's the fourth one. If you won't listen to authority in your life, spiritual authority. If you begin to get to the point where you don't want to listen to your life group leader, or you don't want to listen to your accountability partner, or you don't want to listen to me or Pastor Jerry or or some other spiritual mentor in your life, if you get to that point, perhaps you've begun to put God to the test. I mean, I don't want to hear what you have to say because I have my own way. I have my own thoughts. I don't want to hear what God has to say. I don't want you to speak truth into my life because I've got my own thing. And we've seen so many students, I've seen so many adults pull away from life groups, pull away from church because they don't hear what they wanna hear from the authorities in their life. Oh, you're not, gonna, you're not just gonna say it's okay? Okay, I, I'm not gonna deal with church anymore. I'll go do, I'll go do the, the whole Jesus thing on my own. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not really into life group anymore because he got a little bit too close and it got a little awkward, so I'm, I'm just gonna go my own direction. 
If any of these things describe you recently, maybe you are trying to put God to the test. Maybe you're falling into this trap. And there was a guy in the Old Testament named Job. Job, uh, Job had a rough life, and he has a whole book of the Bible written about him. And basically, he was rich. He was, he was, he was successful. His parents or his family was great. Everything was going great for Job. And Satan began to test and tempt Job. And he did this by taking away everything. His friends died, his family died, his stuff got destroyed. Everything was lost. And then there's this, like, this, this conversation that lasts for chapters and chapters between Job and his friends. And some of them are given good advice, some are given bad advice. Um, but he begins to just get frustrated with the whole thing. And even though he's a Jesus follower or a God follower at this time, he is beginning to test God. See, he's beginning to think, I know better than God. And listen to this. This is so important because this is exactly what we do. Job 38 And I'm just going to jump around a little bit and read a few verses. But finally, at the very end of everything, God just gets frustrated with Job. And he's like, I'm not going to have you test me anymore. I'm not going to have you say what you want. And so God does like the most street thing he does in the entire Bible. This is like thug life for God. Like he gets gets real and bows up to Job. Job, you're not going to talk like that to me anymore. And here's where we pick up, 38, verse 1. It says, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. That's never a good thing. God's speaking to you. There's thunder, there's lightning, there's rain. It's loud, it's scary, it's dark. And God starts speaking. And he says this. Man, this is, I know this is Bible talk and so maybe it doesn't sound like, like, like street, but like he's, he is, he's saying some strong things to Job. And this is like one of my favorite parts of the Bible. It's, it's so, it's kind of funny. He just, he just goes hard on him. Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? What what are you talking about? You don't know what you're talking about, Job. You don't know what you're saying. And then he says this, brace yourself like a man. Man up, Job. Stand up. I'm about to tell you the truth. I will question you and you shall answer me. He doesn't say you have a choice. He says, you're going to answer me, Job. You're going to hear from me. And then he spends the next couple of chapters just ruining Job, just absolutely trashing Job. Not, Not Job as a person, but just like, man, Job, do you really think you're God? Do you really think you know what you're talking about? And here, it's, it's amazing. You should read this. Please, go home tonight and read Job 38 through the end of the, 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 the book. It's amazing. It's, it's so funny, and it's like really cool uh, writing. It's awesome. He says this, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Huh, Job? Where were you at the beginning of time? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off the world's dimensions? Surely you know. Look at God getting sarcastic with Job. Surely you know. Come on, tell me who stretched the measuring tape across it. On what were its footings set, the world, or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the ocean behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for the ocean and set its doors and bars in place? When I said to the ocean, this far you may come. You may come no farther than this beach. Here is where your proud waves halt. And then he'll just continue. He'll continue to say, where were you? Hey, Job, answer. Are, are you listening? Where were you? Were you there? Were you there? Hey, did, 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 were you a part of this? Do you know what happened? Tell me. Surely you understand, Job, because you're testing me. You're saying all these things. And it continues in uh, chapter 40. The Lord said to Job, well, the one who contends with the almighty God, correct him. Let him who accuses God answer him. And finally, Job answers. And he doesn't bow up. Because he's got nothing to say. He says, I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Hopefully, you're done, God. But God was not done. 
Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. You know, that apology is not good enough for me, Job. I'm just gonna keep on going. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn God to justify yourself? How many times have we done that? Man, man God doesn't know what he's talking about. God, God, I, I'm not gonna involve God in this part of my life. And we do that to rationalize what we're doing because we want to do what we want to do. And then he just keeps on ruining them for a couple of chapters. And then we get to the very end, chapter 42. And then Job replies to the Lord in verse one. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job has finally figured out that he can't test God. He says, you asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I had heard of you, God, but now I've seen you. Therefore, I despise myself. He's not, he doesn't have like a low self-esteem. He doesn't like hate himself. What he's saying is like, I realize I'm not God. Man, I'm not good enough. And I'm gonna repent in dust and ashes. See, here's the truth. Our pride leads us to test and question God. When you begin to say, I know better than God, eh, he's not really gonna get mad about that. Eh, I can get away with it, all those kind of things. Your pride is leading you. You're putting God to the test because of your pride. You think you are more than you are. And you are great. You are a mighty creation, a perfect creation of God, but you aren't God. You aren't perfect. You need help. And listen to this, listen to this. If you think that you know better than God, you are prideful. Do you really think that you know better than him? I know you're 17 or you're 14 or you're 16 and you think, oh, I got it all figured out. You don't, I don't. John Weber doesn't, he's like 87 years old. Nobody has it figured out. We don't have it figured out. Age doesn't fix things. We just learn more and more that we don't have it figured out, that we need a savior. We don't know better than God. And so going back to Jesus, Jesus chooses, listen to this, listen to this, we're almost there. Jesus chooses to trust God with his life instead of doing what he wanted to do. See, he could have jumped off the cliff or jumped off the temple and it would have been great. The angels would have saved him or he could have just levitated in the air because he is God. And the crazy thing is the one person who had the right to be prideful. The one person who had the power of God, who was God, chose to humble himself and chose to trust God. Because listen to me, if you're a, if you're a middle school or high school, if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, you have a choice. You have a choice. You can either trust God or you won't. You can either have your way or his way. And this is a question we all have to answer. And maybe you just tuned in and you've kind of tuned me out for the past 20 minutes and this is the only person, part you're gonna listen to and I just want you to hear this. You have a choice. You can either trust God or you won't. You can either go your way or go his way. But you've got to make the choice. You've got to decide. And like Job, you've got to get to the point where you say, maybe I don't have it all figured out. Maybe, maybe, maybe my way isn't the best way. See, trusting is the opposite of testing. Trusting is the opposite of testing. This chair is made to hold someone up. It's got four legs. It's reinforced. It's got a back. It's got all that. This is made to, 
to sit on, to hold us up, to hold our weight. Now, if I trust, if I trust that it's gonna do what it's gonna do, I'm just gonna sit on it. I'll lounge on it. I won't think twice about it. I'll put my full weight on it and I won't even be paying attention to the chair. I'm talking to somebody or I'm watching TV or whatever because the chair, I trust in it. I trust for it to do what it's supposed to do. That's trust, putting your full weight upon it. And when you sit down in a chair and you trust it, you sit down on a couch and you trust it, you get to rest. You get to relax. See, Jesus, remember, remember the words of Jesus where he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for your souls. You can't get rest when you're trying to be God. If you try to be God, you, you've seen like the, the, the Bruce Almighty, that movie, like he, he finds out it's an exhausting thing to be God. And I know it's a comedy and all that stuff, but he figures out, man, I don't want to be God. I can't do all of this. It's exhausting. I just need God to be God. And so you can either trust God or you can test him. See, if I test this chair, then I never really fully lean upon it. Maybe I'll do kind of one of these. And I'll kind of, every time it shakes, I get a little bit nervous and I'll kind of lean on it. But the whole time I'm talking to someone, I'm really thinking about this chair holding me. That's, that's testing. Maybe, maybe I'll come up to it and I'll, as soon as I see it move, I'm just like, uh, I'm going to back away for now. Or maybe, maybe I'll come up to it and I'll just be like, I'll just put a little bit of my weight on it. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. That was, that was enough. Whew, that was, that was, that was tough. Or maybe, maybe on a Sunday night. Yeah. Yeah. I'll sit on here. Oh, it's a little comfortable. And this whole worship thing is pretty good. Yeah, this is good. Oh, oh, hey man, how you doing? How you doing, man? Oh, that, that, I wasn't, no, I'm not a Christian. No, no. No, no, that was just church. No, no big deal. That was just some retreat. That was just some mission trip. No, 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 no. We start to mistrust. Maybe sometimes we don't actually want to trust in God. We just kind of want to test him out. Just try him out. Well, guess what? You'll never rest. You'll become weary. You'll become tired because we were not made to be God. And here is the truth. Here is the truth. Here's how we fight this temptation. This is where we close. Truth number three, you are a terrible God. You are a terrible God. Humble yourself and trust the one true God. You're a terrible God. You're terrible at running your life. You're terrible at making your own decisions. You're terrible at trying to always figure out what to do when you want to do it. No human can be a God. We're not good at it. We're not good. And so we must, just like Job, just like Jesus, humble ourselves, become like nothing, and trust the one true God, to fully trust him and sit upon his word, to take refuge in him. That is what we are called to do. That's the choice we have. And for some of you, you've got to make the decision tonight that you're going to stop trying to run your own life. You're going to stop trying to find loopholes. You're going to stop trying to do things your own way. And you're going to finally, once and for all, put your trust in Jesus. You're not going to do the little one cheek thing. You're not going to kind of lean on it. You're not going to kind of walk around it and look at it and say, I wonder about this whole God thing. I wonder, uh, I don't know. I'm not really sure. It's time for you to trust in him and put your whole weight of your life upon him. To stop playing games, to stop being like Job and testing God and to be like Jesus. See, here's the thing about Jesus. He gets another chance in the Garden of Gethsemane, which we're gonna celebrate this Thursday through, through Sunday. It's Easter and the Easter season and all of that. He had a chance. 
where he went and he got upon his knees and he knew what he was supposed to do. And this is what he says, God, I don't know about this. And this is rough. I'm not sure if I want this cup. I'm not sure if I want this. And then he says some very important words, not my will, but yours be done. It's not about what I want, God, because I'm not God, even though he was God. He knew that God the Father was in control of his life and that he would follow after him no matter what and no matter how hard it was gonna be. And we have to make the same decision. And so right now, I'm just gonna ask you to kind of bow your heads, close your eyes. And if you're in this room, you heard about Jesus, maybe you're like, maybe you're like Job. I've heard about God, but I haven't seen him. But now that I've seen him, my life is changed. Maybe God's been working something in your heart. And sometimes you come in here and, and maybe, maybe you don't hear anything. Maybe you're distracted, maybe you're talking, whatever. But there's someone in this room right now. I know there is that has heard this, that it's speaking to their heart, that God's word, that God's spirit is speaking to them. And it's time for you to humble yourself and to put your full trust upon God. Through Jesus to say, I want to know him as my Lord and Savior. So if that's you, we want to give you the opportunity to come to know Jesus. We want to do this. uh, We do this most weeks. And so if you would like to give your life over to Christ, if you'd like to fully entrust your life over to him for the first time, On the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. And we ask you to raise your hand because we want you to remember the moment when you put your hand up on April 9th, 2017, and you said yes to Jesus. I want you to remember that moment. So stop trying to run your own life. Here it is. Here's your chance. Here's your opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to put your full trust in Jesus. One, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, God loves you. Two, entrust your life to him never be the same. Three, raise your hand if that's you. Raise your hand if that's you. Don't worry about who's next to you. Don't worry about who's looking where. They can't make the decision for you. Raise your hand, put it up high. I'll give you a couple more seconds if that's you. If you feel God speaking to me, your heart's beating out of your chest, you know that he's talking to you, you know it's time to trust him. Raise your hand. Put it up high. Put it up high. And pray this prayer with me, believing it in your heart, which is what faith is. Lord, I'm yours. I know I've messed up. I know I'm a bad God. I've tested you for far too long. Change me. I want to follow after you. I want you to be the savior of my life. I know you're the son of God. I know you sacrificed yourself for me on the cross and you rose again to change humanity. Lord, I ask you to come and guide me. I put my trust in you. In your name I pray. Amen.